It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody, and happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. We are 17 days away from the 2022 NFL Draft. My name is John Schmelk. I'm joined by today, Paul Dettino and Jeff Fiegels. We'll take your calls a little bit later on in the show. A packed show today. We have Will Johnson, uh, who is from Texas A&M's 12th Man Productions, host and sideline reporter. He will join us coming up here at 12.05, and then 12.30, we'll be joined by Kentley Platt, who is our normal guest every year. He comes on and talks about some of his uh, relative athletic scores, which is his way to kind of take all the players' measurements and testing scores together to figure out where they rank historically and what guys truly are standouts and what guys maybe aren't standouts and might hurt them in the draft process. Guys, good afternoon. How are Hello. you? Hello. Good, John. How are you? Hey, John. Paul? Are you enjoying those cookies, Paul? Yeah. As you have your mouth stuffed with the cookies? I was, I was thinking, you can't I think, help yourself. I know. I, I, I'm i addicted to these suckers. I am the cookie monster of Sesame Street. Oh my <laughs> cookie! <sighs> Can you not be the cookie monster while we're trying to host a radio I show? Know. I know. Thank you. Crumbs well, everywhere. I was trying to give Jeff a chance to talk. Right. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Hello. Crumbs everywhere. Make sure you clean up. Did you enjoy your Masters over the weekend, sir? Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, what a great. Uh, any, uh, listen. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's very distracting. Can't can't do anything. It's like it's just there. You got to watch it. Um, it was a great great story. Um, really enjoyed uh, yesterday. Man, the pressure. You could tell. I don't know if you saw it on the last hole. I mean, the guy's got like a five shot lead, but he's still missing two footers because he's so nervous. He's about to win the Masters. So it was awesome. I enjoyed it. I know Paul was locked in. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he the was. The Masters. The only thing that's good for is a college degree. That's about all I care about. Oh, please. Yeah, all right, anyway. whatever. 201-939-4513. Uh, we'll probably try to squeeze a couple calls in between our Texas A&M guest and Pearson. You can give him a call and get him up. Uh, between him and Kenley Platt, will join us again at 1230. Uh, and then we will try to squeeze in a call at the very end of the show as well. So get on the phones. Guys, a couple notes over the weekend before we get to the draft stuff. NFL losing two members of their family, um, tragically. Uh, Gary Brown, who obviously has some uh, New York Giants connections. He was a running back coach for the Dallas really Cowboys. Good guy. Really good uh, guy. I've, I haven't heard one person say a bad thing about him. Um, he died in hospice care, so no, no details in exactly what was wrong with him. Uh, he, was, he had I cancer think, twice. It was cancer? All right, twice. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not surprising. It was um, dreadful. How old was he, Paul? 50, 52? Yeah, mid-50s. Like yeah. Um, was, a, was a running backs coach at Rutgers for a short time. Yeah, and, and then a name a lot of Giant fans are probably more familiar with because they're younger. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, who was a quarterback with Washington for a year and was with Pittsburgh last year, tragically hit by a car. And a truck, I believe. passed away over the weekend. So uh, just awful, awful news all around, which is it's, it's just too bad. Yeah, for those of you who don't know about Gary Brown, um, he had been with uh, Houston and San Diego. And Kevin Gilbride in particular knew of him from his past coaching days in the NFL. And, of course, Ernie Acorsi knew him from his days as a Penn State running back. Ernie has the, the longtime connection to Penn State. And so the Giants were desperately in need of some – depth at the running back position. So after the 97 season, Gary Brown, who had had one 1,000-yard year prior but had been badly banged up, injuries had really taken a toll on him, he was out there on the market. 
and the Giants basically signed him as an under-the-radar kind of free agent, one of those, you know, really good risk deals because he wasn't going to get a whole lot of money, coming off injuries, nobody was paying much attention to him. The Giants grab him because Gilbride and, of course, he both wanted to get him on the team, and what happens? 1998 season, he runs for 1,000 yards. And I'll never forget, I'm in the press box at the Vet in Philadelphia, final game of the regular season. Oh, and Ernie Accorsi was there, and when he broke the 1,000-yard barrier, Ernie was just like like sunshine. He just lit up like sunshine. It was so cool. Ernie was so proud that, that Brown had, had done what he had done. It was, a, it was a cool thing. We do have, again, a very busy show today, so let's get right to it. We're joined by Will Johnson from Texas A&M's 12th Man Productions host and radio sideline reporter. He joins us now to talk about some of the Texas A&M prospects heading into the 2022 NFL Draft. Will, my name is John Schmelk. We have Paul Dottino, who you just heard, and then we have former Giants punter Jeff Fiegels with us as well. Thanks so much. Hope you had a great weekend, man. Hello, Will. Are you there? See, Paul, you put him to sleep. <laughs> Will, good. you there? You with us, pal? Hello. There he is. I think we got him now. Will, you there? No, I'm I'm Cliff from New York, just trying to get on the air. Okay, Cliff, we'll get you in a second. Pearson, <laughs> let's uh let's try to get Will back up here. Monday morning. <laughs> Anyway, Jeff, you have something to add about Gary Brown that uh, Dettino was talking no, about. No, I, I actually I, I remember the name. Um, never got to meet him. I know it's uh, anytime. So he was lose... not someone that played with Jeff Eagles. That no, he, this was, he was only with us for two years. Yeah. Well, he could have been with another team. Jeff was on. There. Yeah, 98, 99, and then he he got hurt again, hurt his knee again, and uh, and then you know played sporadically in the ninety nine season, and then uh, then he was forced to retire. He was he was one of those guys who was he was a short fire hydrant kind of back and and he would just plow along and and get you the commensurate yardage that the play required he didn't necessarily make big plays but he was just sturdy and consistent and just a really really good guy and then of course Dwayne Haskins which is just you know tragic obviously you never want to hear a young man like that uh you know who seemed like he was, you know, doing well in Pittsburgh as a backup. They really liked him up there. Maybe he was starting to figure things out. As you know, he probably would have had a chance to compete too. Like you know, bit, you know, Rob sure. Rogers retired. Yeah, they brought in Trubisky, but you thought mm-hmm. he might have had a chance. So it's just awful, awful news. And 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 you just Sorry hate to hear that. Yeah. So let's try this again. We're going to go to Will Johnson from Texas A&M's 12th Man Productions, host and radio sideline reporter. Uh, he joins us now to talk about some of the Texas A&M Aggies heading into the NFL draft. Will. You got Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk, and Jeff Fiegel's former Giants punter with you. How are you, man? Hope you had a good weekend. Hello, Will. Was a good weekend. Thanks, guys. Had the uh, maroon and white game here at Kyle Field this weekend, so had a good time at it. Yeah, as you guys start looking into your next season with your younger players, we're going to start talking about some of the players that are leaving your program, Will. So let's start there, and I guess we got to start with Kenyon Green. The Giants are in the market for offensive linemen here. Uh, I know he's a multi-positional guy. What's your feel for where you think Kenyon Green played his best given some of the strengths and weaknesses of his game? I think most feel like I mean, he is a guard. Uh, he does have the long arms, but uh, maybe not as long a leg, so to speak, <laughs> at 6'4 with that frame, but I've but I think he's so valuable to an NFL team because of that versatility. But I think if A&M 
were fully solidified on the offensive line for the past couple of years, I think you would have seen Kenyon at guard, probably his most natural position, but he had to move outside to tackle. But the thing is, he's so athletic, uh, he's so well-rounded, he didn't have much trouble at tackle. You know, when he locks you up, even some of these best defenders in the SEC, yeah, they weren't getting away. So he almost made tackle look natural, even though the scouting report often would have said guard is where he's most comfortable playing. He even moved to center sometimes. I mean, if he needed to, he he could get right in front of the quarterback and play center. So the versatility is obviously his strength, but I think if you ask where he would be most comfortable in the NFL, if you ask his coaches, I think they would tell you, at the guard position. You know, well, he's just a powerful mauler. He's my kind of guy. I think he's the the equanu of the guards. I think he and Zion Johnson from Boston College are probably the two best guards in this draft for my for my taste. The problem with Green is that I could see him going in the middle of the first round, maybe as deep as 20 possibly. Wouldn't surprise me, though, if he's taken before that, which means the Giants aren't going to have a chance to get him because even though they could use some more competition, perhaps at left guard, he's never going to be there by pick 36 by the time the Giants pick in the second round. Unless you're telling me something that I don't know, he's got to be a first-round pick. That's what I think. I think that's what most around here feel like. And, one, you can watch his tape. You see how well he plays. You see how versatile he is. You see how strong he is at the guard position. But when a guy like Kenyon Green then goes to places like the Combine, he's just going to solidify it. I mean, he would do well in an interview setting. He would do well at drills when he has his pro day here at Texas A&M. He's just going to solidify what you think about him because he's so strong mentally and he's so just ingrained in the game. He's an extra film type guy. He's an extra time in the weight room type guy. So I know teams thought highly of him in the first place just by watching his film and the career he had at A&M. But it probably helped him bump up a few spots, the combine and the pro day process. So I think that what he did after his A&M career in those settings I think, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion around A&M, that solidified him as a first-round draft pick. Uh, Will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on quickly. I know we got to get to a lot of players. you got a lot of guys down there that are going to probably make it playing on Sunday. Um, I wanted to talk about the running back position and uh, Mr. Spiller. Isaiah Spiller, I know he's a big guy, he's six foot one, which is, you know, that's that's big for a running back. Um, some of the things here I, I'm reading about him, just talk to me a little bit about his production last year. He said it dropped like 10 pounds his sophomore season and became much more elusive. And just want to know, one, uh, how is he out, out of the backfield catching the football? And what is his upside as far as running through, you know, where is his, where is his best area to run? Is it his middle, outside, and what is his speed like? Well, as far as catching the football, I think early in his career he struggled with it. Uh, greatly improved, though. Last couple of years, I don't think you could have found a, a drop in there out of the backfield, but he nice. greatly improved with his hands coming out of the backfield. He can run between the tackles. He's not afraid to do it. I mean, this is not a guy that bounces the ball outside and wants to outrun you to the corner. He will put his head down, go in between the tackles, because his best attribute, I think, is just the simple compliment you can give a running back 
he's so hard to get to the ground. He led the SEC a couple of years ago in yards after contact. And the way he takes contact, it's hard to get a solid hit on him because he's elusive, but mm-hmm. he works downhill, and there's plenty of times he's going to deliver the blow to the defender. I mean, he'll run you over. He'll slip a tackle. Arm tackles are not an option with him. You can't get him down that way. The way he takes contact and his yards after contact make him valuable in the NFL. And, yes, he's greatly improved as a pass catcher. Uh, two years ago, I don't know if I'd have told you that. I would have thought maybe that would be something that holds Isaiah back. But he's worked at it, and, and he's eliminated that as a weakness, if you ask me. He, he's developed pretty good hands. He, he made a game-winning catch for the Aggies uh, in week two when they were about to get upset in Denver against Colorado. I mean, the offense couldn't move it. They were down 7-3. to three. It felt like the entire game. But they throw <laughs> a wheel route out of the backfield to Isaiah in, I mean, in a pressure situation. He was contested. He wasn't all that open and basically beat a defender downfield for a catch and that was probably his highlight catch of his career, but he, he's greatly improved with his hands out of the backfield. How about his pass protection, the other aspect of that third down equation? I think he does it well because, like I said, he doesn't mind contact. I mean, he'll go toe-to-toe with a defensive lineman or a linebacker coming through the middle trying to get to the quarterback. He is, he is completely okay with contact, whether that's with the football in his hands or without it. I think that's something this coaching staff greatly appreciated. That he, and and the other thing about Isaiah, yeah, pass protection. He'll pick up a block that's coming through. But there were moments in his career they actually moved him into a fullback position to be a lead blocker in goal-to-go situations, paving the way for maybe a guy who's a little faster in Anaya Smith or Devon Aiche. Put the guy at fullback, unselfish, and and he was kind of helping that offensive line road grade a little bit. But that was usually in goal-to-goal situations. So he doesn't mind any sort of contact, whether it's with the ball in his hand or if it's in a blocking situation, run down, pass down. He's okay with it all. I definitely want to see some of that tape. That was this past year, Will? Uh, if you want that tape, I would look at Auburn in – 2020, the game at okay. Auburn. That's when he was at fullback the most. A&M went on a late drive to seal that game and put. That was probably the most identifiable moment where he played fullback. He did it in others, but Auburn in 2020 is where he just kind of started lead blocking for Anaya Smith wow. going through home right. to solidify that game. Because <laughs> I, I think most people think you know he's one of the top three running backs in this draft, but. Again, where do you draft him? Because if he becomes an all-down player, you could see him as high as the second round. Uh, but there will be there will be some thought that you know he ran the four-six-three at the combine, which I don't think they like very much, which could drip drop him to the third round. But I don't think there's any doubt about his production, and um, he's an interesting guy to think about if you're the Giants and and you're looking to the future for a running back. I want to flop it, though, to to another guy who I've seen a wide range on, Will, and that is uh, the tight end, Jalen Weidemeyer. I've seen this guy as high as fourth round in some projections because tight ends, obviously, you got to be really, really special, and, and your production's got to be off the charts to get a much higher grade than that. And then I've also seen some people say, you know what, 
He, his physicality's not there. He's not developed enough. He's probably uh, more of a, a late third-day pick. Could be a seventh-rounder. Explain to me why you think people are so mixed on him because the guy certainly has size and looks like he could be a good flex tight end in the pros. I think if you go on the high end with him, those that think highly of him, if they're putting him in that range of the fourth round, you just look at production. I mean, he's ultra-talented. He he can get into the slot. He can get downfield. He finds his way open, uh, but he doesn't do it with a – ton of speed uh, but he finds his way open and he, he generally has good hands uh those that may look at him lower if you are putting him third day putting him around the seventh round i, I think the speed is a concern um and with Jalen, i think it's it, he played a while in college and maybe didn't just become consistent down in and down out and using him as much as you wanted. I mean, he's got great hands. I mean, this is a guy that can go up and one-hand the ball over over coverage and then, uh, you know, a few plays later, find his way open but uh, but drop the football. And, you know, so, so I think if you have him high, you can see the production and you can see the upside of the talent. If you have him low, I think you're a little concerned with the speed. Uh, here at the Pro Day at A&M, his 40 times, quite frankly, weren't uh, impressive to a lot of teams. Uh, and then there's the inconsistency. I mean, he, he's a Mackey Award finalist. I mean, given to the nation's best tight end. But I think he would have told you his 2021 season wasn't as good as his 2020 season. So that says your consistency didn't grow during your time in college. So I think the speed might be a concern. I think the consistency might be a concern. But the upside of the talent is tremendous. I mean, if he can if he can plug it in and turn it on, he can be successful anywhere uh, in the NFL. Hey, Jeff, I want to follow up real quick on, sure. on uh, Watermeyer just real fast. Mm-hmm. I think one thing, you know, Will, some people were concerned about is that to come out and have that sort of athletic testing, you know, as, as, as problematic as, as an over five-second 40-yard dash number is for a tight end, I think people are a little concerned that, well, was he taking training very seriously leading up to that, right? Because I, th- I think his vertical jump was somewhere in, like, the 20-inch range or something like that. And I think that was a worry some people had, whether or not he took it really seriously and he was really prepared to do it. Did you find when he was there that he was a very attentive player, he was into it, he loved the game, and it was something that he really, really loves? You know, I, I think that's a good question. Uh, if you watch him in practice, uh, you know, he does his job, and he, he he's successful in practice settings now. You know, how vocal he was, how engaged he was. I don't know. Maybe he was living off a little bit of raw talent uh, because for a while he was just probably better than most. You, know, you put a guy with his kind of talent against a linebacker who may draw coverage against him or a strong safety type player, you probably could live off some talent and just beat him. And he did that plenty of times, even in the SEC, even in practice. But it. it I, I guess I could see that maybe being a concern with some, uh, the training aspect of it, uh, which training leads to consistency. And uh, he may have lacked a little, and maybe that's why he lacked a little consistency maybe in, in his final year at a and I actually thought he was pretty consistent his first two years, just that final year that kind of jumps at you and say, well, 
maybe not quite as productive, maybe quite, not quite as uh, consistent that season. Um, DeMarvin Leal, I'm going to go to defense here. So uh, this is a big man, 6'4", 290, playing the edge position. I'm just curious a little bit about his bend and his speed off the football at that size. And also, did um, is he a guy that you see in a 3-4, a 4-3? Um, you know, his size, I would imagine that he's probably better in a 4-3. But, you know, how did he hold up at any of those two positions? Did he move inside? Give us a little bit of, uh, you know, an idea of how DeMarvin Leal can come into the National Football League and what he can portray to the next level. Haven't seen Marv, as we call him here. Uh, he's <laughs> the biggest. He's the most interested I am. Uh, when the uh, he's the Aggie I'm most interested in when the draft starts. I see and plugged into a ton of projections yet, but I see some third round stuff with him. If he's in the third round, my opinion is somebody just got to steal. I like, agree with he, you. Mm-hmm. And he can go inside and out. So, and I've heard Aggie coaches say this about him. So, first of all, for him going inside and out, if he's inside. He's going to be a nightmare on a guard because he's faster than him. If he goes outside, he's going to be a nightmare on a tackle because he's more powerful than them. He is the complete package on the defensive front. And one thing the Aggies loved, and and I guess it remains to be seen how this translates to the NFL, it feels like in the NFL you can fall in love with the edge rusher. Uh, say the guys like A&M has produced in a Vaughn Miller or a Miles Garrett. They can come off the edge and get to the quarterback. But what DeMarvin does, even if you put him inside, if you don't double-team him, at least this was the case in college, even in the SEC, if you don't double-team him, he's going to get to the passer from the inside. He will get an interior pass rush right in the face of a quarterback, basically when he wants it. And you had to put two guys on him to stop that. And when you're doing that, well, now you're freed up with your edge rush. Now, in the NFL, it does feel more like you get to the quarterback from the outside, on the edge, outside linebackers, defensive end type guys. Marv could do it, but I love the fact that I'm intrigued to see what they think of what he could do on the interior in the mm-hmm. NFL. He'll plug holes. He's got the body. He's got the movement. He is going to plug holes in the run game. But I actually think you can use him to get to the quarterback in a different way, not necessarily off the edge if you play him inside. But I just go back to what Elijah Robinson, who was his defensive line coach here at A&M, said, and, and Mike Elko, who was the former defensive coordinator, said it too. Elko's moved on to Duke as the head coach. But put him inside, he's a nightmare on a guard. They're not fast enough. Put him outside, he's a nightmare on a tackle, even though the tackle's got the quicker beat. He can bull rush them. He's just more powerful than them. So third round to me for DeMarvin Leal, is surprising. I just think, haven't seen him for the last three years, he's a better player up front than the third round. Well, I have in bold face capital letters, 4-3 defensive tackle using the three technique mm-hmm. because I think if he's in that system, he's going to kick people's butts. He will be a first-round, low first-round value if he winds up as a 4-3, 3-technique defensive tackle. I really believe that. But I do want to ask you about his injury history because I also have notations here about a knee and a hand injury that he had during college. Is the medical going to be something that holds him back? And along the same vein, Michael Clemens, 
is another guy who interests me a lot because he's had a lot of off-the-field issues. He's also had injury issues. But at 6'5", 260, with 35-inch arms, those are some physical traits that some scouts are going to salivate over, even though he's clearly going to be a third-day pick. This is a guy who could, could do some damage. No, he can, and, and, and that's the key. When he's healthy, he does damage. He just had a fantastic November here this last season, and it was when he had put all the injuries behind him. I mean, he missed most of, it felt like 2020. He was missing some of 2021. The injuries were put behind him. He, he was full go late October, and then, I mean, had a November here for A&M that probably put him onto the scene. If not for the final month of this last season, I'm not sure how many scouts or GMs or just people in the NFL would have known much about Michael Clemens. But Auburn came here to Kyle Field, and he just, I mean, quite frankly, wrecked shop on on those guys. And then the LSU game, even though the Aggies went to Baton Rouge and lost it, Michael Clemens in the second half, borderline took the game over and willed the Aggies to victory with what he did off the edge. He had three sacks in the second half. Hmm. And... Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you look at Michael Clemens, I mean, it is just wow. The jaw drops. The body's incredible. Looks like a beast. Uh, he he runs okay. Uh, I mean, he's he's got some speed. Uh, he doesn't lack speed. I'll say that. But I don't, he's not going to be the fastest off the edge in the draft. But he runs pretty well. He he's. You know, he, he's a kind of guy that is a late bloomer, if you ask me. Maybe injuries have something to do with that, but this was a guy that had to go to Cisco Junior College, who at the time was one of the worst junior colleges in Texas. They couldn't win a game, but that's all that he could get an <laughs> offer from for a while. But he, he, he earned it. I mean, he worked his way to A&M. Uh, he overcame the injuries. He battled everything, and – He's got a lot of ascension going right now, if you ask me, because his final month in an A&M uniform that he closed in was incredible. And But that, that's a small sample size. You know, that's not a whole career. So I think you, you get a bit of intrigue with Michael Clemens if you're an NFL team. You're saying, look, I just saw it for a month. This guy can be something. He's pretty incredible. He's on the rise. But you're also saying, I may not have seen it enough. You know, you you got to put together more than a month of tape to really impress NFL teams. But if you can harness what he did this past month in November, and he, and if he stays on the up, he's got a chance. He's got a chance to really contribute defensively to an NFL team. We're joined by Will Johnson. Will, before we say goodbye, who are some of the other prospects coming out? I know there are a few guys we didn't touch on. Uh, unfortunately, we got a roll. Um, that you really like, that you think are either being downplayed or you think are worth talking about that NFL teams should consider when the draft hits here in a couple of weeks? Uh, well, Leon O'Neal is a safety. I, 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 he maybe gets drafted late, maybe gets a free agent shot. Uh, Leon has greatly improved in his time at A&M. I think you, you get this type of stuff with a freshman. Uh, missed assignments, but cleaned that up. Just became a better and better player. I think if you get Leon O'Neal, you're going to get a sound player that makes very little mistakes. And then I think, uh, lastly, Tyree Johnson. Uh, he's kind of like Michael Clemens off the edge. He had a good, strong close to his career at A&M that could possibly put him on the radar of some NFL teams. Maybe he's more free agent, could be late-round pick. But Leon O'Neal and Tyree Johnson are a couple that I would look for 
whether they get drafted or not, they may have some shots at some rosters their rookie season. Two guys we didn't mention real quick, Jaden Peavy, Aaron Hansford. Your thoughts on those guys? They're good. I put Jaden Peavy and Aaron Hansford are kind of a boat of Leon O'Neill. They do things right. That uh, They're in the right place. And Aaron Hansford, a ton of athleticism. Ton of athletics. He's an offensive player to start things off at A and M. So he kind of got started at linebacker late in his career. Started to come on, improved greatly, and then Peavy's just that sound run stuffer in the middle. Uh, I would throw them in the same boat as Tyree Johnson and Leon O'Neill. They'll have shots to be on rosters, uh, if, whether it's as a draft pick or a free agent. Great, Bill. We thank you, Will. Thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Um, best of luck. Enjoy spring football, and we will uh, talk to you next year when we have the next, our next wave of uh, <laughs> Texas A&M prospects coming out. Will, thanks so much, man. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon, Will. okay? Great stuff, Will. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Have that is Will one. Johnson, Texas A&M, 12th Man Productions, host and radio sideline reporter. All right, we're going to have Kent Lee Platt, who does the uh, relative athletic scores, coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Guys, quick reaction to that. I think Layal, by the way, I think he's probably going to be the – Second guy drafted, I think he's interesting. I think he left a little meat on the bone there. I don't know <laughs> if it's because of the way they used him, but I feel like he didn't quite get as much out of his ability as he could have. But I do think, depending on your scheme, he's an interesting day two guy. Like I said, 4-3, three, three technique defensive tackle. Some pro team is going to say, we want that guy to rush inside. Yeah, I don't see the burst for him to be an outside rusher. I don't think so either, myself. But I think, I think he's going to be very effective, and I think he can play right away. Yeah, I really like Green. I think, and I think Paul, you had mentioned that he's just not gonna, he's not gonna be there for you know our taking. But somebody's gonna get a real good player there, you know, and he just fits that mold as as that guard position, big six four, three hundred and twenty three pounds, just a, you know, a, a road grader as I they call him. Love I him. don't think he's the best. Pass protector, though, at this point. He's a little clunky in his yeah, pass protection. Clunky. I like he, it. He's yeah. more like Iquano. I told you, he's the Iquano of the guards. Mm-hmm. Big, strong, huge frame, boxcar mauler. Gets his hands on you, Forget you're in it. trouble. You know, I, I think right. he probably wrestles some of those Texas steers in practice. I mean, that's, that's what I think the steers run the other way from Kenyon Green. Well, that, I'll tell you. That's how you know. ferocious he is. I love the guy. And one thing that we like to hear, I'm sure a lot of coaches and organizations like to hear this too, is that, you know, any of these big guys that have played multiple positions, you know how important that is to everybody. So, you know, just because, uh, you know, you draft them at a tackle, you know that you can move them inside to a guard and vice versa. So I think that anytime you have that versatility, that is a feather in your cap as a guy that can say that, hey, I played all the positions, even played a little bit of center, tells me that he's a smart kid. Um, and his versatility will help him at the next level. Absolutely. And I'll say this too: he is not a tackle. I know he no. played tackle. No, but I, you school. know what I'm saying. Like if oh, there was no, an no, injury no. Oh, yeah, position, sure. or he had to move for a game or two, you know, just to help out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, no. and 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 Will made this point too when we were talking to him that he played tackle because they needed a tackle. But he's a guy that is, is going to be a guard, and I think mm-hmm. you feel hundred percent. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Weidermeyer's interesting. Um, he's a big dude. He man. might not get drafted. I mean, is he, I mean, you know, you dude, talk about how he runs, grades out and levels. Yeah, I mean, tight ends that run an over five second forty yard dash is a problem. Such a widespread situation on him because, as he said, the production was there. Look at look at the guy's production, and and the problem is now you have to say, all right, well, what about all this other stuff? The inconsistencies, the yeah. speed issues, the fact that he's not really a blocker. 
Okay? I mean, when you look, look, 6'4", I got him down for 6'4", 255. Okay? And I'm like, you're, you're not a blocker at all? And and he didn't show that. So he, I mean, he was all right. I mean, he was fine. But the problem is that look, what's his what's his trait that gets you excited? Besides well, the fact that he's gigantic, <laughs> the fact that he's got a great catch radius and he finds ways to get open and he's very productive he's in the passing game. Slow. I again, I get that. Yeah. You know, but the production's there, so there'll there'll be somebody who might get enticed by that and overlook the other stuff. To me, he's a third day pick. Yes. He's a third-day pick. Well, now he is. Yeah, the question is, oh, is he, I think he's more of a sixth-rounder than a fourth-rounder. Mm-hmm. Now, now that the test Could be. Went, That's yeah. why I said the range is four to seven on him. That's as high as I've seen him, fourth round. That's as high as I've seen him. Um, I personally, I'd probably go a little lower, too. But so, somebody who I, need, I, I needed to find out more about because there's too much of a range on him. See, some of these other people, I pretty much think I know exactly where they're going to go. This guy, there's too much of a range. Well, Somebody's going to. It was the testing that got him. I mean, the yeah. testing yeah. murdered his value. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but then again, there are teams, as I know, the Giants were always, they would never knock a guy's grade down off of the combine. Never. That was the rule in this organization. You will never knock a guy's grade down. Yeah, but here's the problem. When I watched him on tape, I also thought he was slow. Again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's open to how what the range is going to be for him. Someone's well, going gonna to take him, but I'll t- I will say this. He is a flex tight end. Don't yeah. even think about putting him in an H-back or don't even think about putting him online. And, but, He's but a flex you, for me. Exactly. So if that's where you're going to go. And I, you're I, slow. I, I, yeah. I, and you're slow. I, I mean, i got to have a little bit more value at that position if I'm going to well, flex Well, you know what him. it means? It, mean, it means he's, he's going to be used like the Giants used Caden Smith before he got hurt. It means he's going to catch ten yard passes. Yeah, because well, he's yeah, going to he's going to play against zone defenses. But if you want a guy like that, he's got to be able to block. Well, Caden Smith wasn't known for his blocking either. Well, he, he could was, do some he of it. Good blocker. He could do some of it. But what you do with a guy like this is you just simply run him for ten yard routes. He's going to find space in zones, and he's simply going to catch the ball and then get tackled. He's not going to get yards after the catch. He's not going to run man-for-man routes around circles. That's not what he does. He's a role player. All right, let's get to our guest. He is Kenley Platt, at MathBomb on Twitter. He's joined us every year now the last three or four years, and he puts together what's called relative athletic scores. He kind of takes a composite of all the players' measurements, testing scores, and all that stuff. He puts them together, and he figures out exactly uh, where players stand based on the last 30-so years of data that he has. Um, in terms of uh, player testing. So, Kent, you got John Schmelt, Jeff Eagles, Paul Dettino with you. How are you, man? Fantastic, man. Glad to be back on. Yeah, and I actually got a Thanks chance to meet again. Kent in person down at the Senior Bowl. Had a fun chat with him down there. That was great. So, Kent, let's start here. We actually just had somebody on from Texas A&M. We had a Jalen Weidermeyer conversation here. Um, you could touch on him, and I know the testing was poor, uh, but how about the other tight ends in this class, right, where – I don't think the Giants are going to look at one of these guys in, in, in the top 60 picks or so. But if you're looking for a guy in the third or fourth round, then I think that's where most of these tight ends are going to go, maybe fourth round or later. Who are some of the guys, and this is a traits position now in the NFL where you draft traits, who are some of the guys that have really shown up with really nice traits at this position group that the Giants might be able to nab on day three? 
So on day three, you're kind of going to be out of the range of Jelani Woods. If you're looking after pick 60, that's kind of the range he would have gone in. This is uh, the Virginia tight end. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually took over the top spot for Raz, which has been held by uh, former Jets first-round pick Anthony Beck since uh, 2000, so 20-something years that that's been held on to, and, and Woods really? managed to beat it. Um, if you're looking at day three, though, you got guys like Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. A lot of people didn't really expect him to test really well, but he tested exceptionally well, which is very good for him. I'm sure that helped his stock quite a bit. Um, you've also got Daniel Bellinger out of San Diego State, another player that was kind of fluffed out a little bit before the combine. He had a fantastic combine performance uh, and has really been jumping up boards. So those are, those are the big names you want to look at. Look at. Like you said, it's a Tracy position. You want to get those big athletes. The uh, the guy who I needed to ask you about when John told me you were coming on today is Jordan Davis. I mean, the guy yeah. is a condominium, okay? <laughs> condominium. And yet, what he does with his athleticism, and I haven't seen your profile for him, but I got a feeling there's a lot of green on it. Yeah. Jordan Davis actually took uh, the top spot for defensive tackles this year for Raz. And he's actually got the second highest average score of any player ever. It's over 20,000 players in the database. And the only guy that was better than him was Calvin Johnson at wide receiver. <laughs> Are you is, serious? Oh my God. I mean, that's, that's nuts. <laughs> that's good company to be in. Um, his, his lowest test, uh, Jordan Davis's lowest test, was a 32-inch uh, vertical, which is 88th percentile for a defensive tackle. Uh, Calvin's lowest was a 97th percentile 10-yard split because I don't think anybody's ever going to touch that one. For, for those who don't understand how ridiculous this is, Kent, explain to people what his measurements are. I mean, three, was it 340, 350? What is he coming in at these days? <laughs> so let's pretend he's not a gigantic defensive tackle. Let's say he's just a straight-up defensive tackle. He ran a 478, which is 99th percentile for a defensive tackle. He had a 1.63 10-yard split, which is 99th percentile. He had a 10-foot, 3-inch broad, which is almost the best ever by any defensive tackle. And then a 32-inch vertical, which I said was 88. And that's incredible numbers for any size of defensive tackle. But he is 6-foot, 6, and 341 pounds. That is massive. That's scary. That's, That's a good-sized offensive tackle, and offensive tackles are the biggest human beings on the planet. Hey, uh, Kent, I want to go there. I, I need you to give me, um, you know, we know all the main guys um, that are coming up in this draft. It's a tackle position. It seems to me one of the great things about this this class this year is that almost all of them can, can – can move, they, meaning they can move inside, they can stay out there, tackle. Give me one of these guys that the Giants, you know, may be able to, you know, there's a, there's a grade on him in your category that they would be able to get to maybe in that third round or second round that, you know, somebody might just not be aware of. Yeah, once you get outside of the first round, there's a little bit of a drop-off in talent in this tackle class. It's mm-hmm. very, very heavy at the top. Uh, once you start getting into the, the third round and then the day three, you get into guys like Abraham Lucas out of Washington State who tested incredibly well. One of my favorite players was Matt Belesko out of North, North Dakota. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, but um, he, he, he's a huge offensive tackle, even by offensive tackle standards, which, again, these are the largest people on the planet. Um, and he's six foot seven, almost six foot seven and a half. Um, and he tested better than most small tackles do, small zone tackles, and he tested fantastic. The guy has the second largest uh, wingspan in the, in the draft class, which, again, ridiculous athlete and incredible length. So all the traits that you want from a big tackle. And he's probably sitting right in that early day three range. 
Okay. Okay, I want to talk about the top of the offensive line class there, Kent. Is there any appreciable difference, in your opinion, in the testing between Neil, Equanu, and Cross? Or is that just going to be, all right, all these guys are good athletes. Let's just pick the guy that we like the best on the field. It's kind of the latter. So there's a difference in testing. Neil actually opted out of all the testing because he probably didn't think he needed to. He's been sitting at the top of most people's tackle boards for like four years. Um, <laughs> Iki Iquanu tested very, very well. His size hurt him a little bit because he's not the largest tackle in the world. He's only six foot four. And again, there's a lot of really big tackles out there. Uh, but his testing was fantastic. He ended up with an 8.5 out of 10. Cross underwhelmed a little bit in the testing, but don't let that don't let that deter you from looking at him as a prospect. Because when I say underwhelmed a little bit, I just mean that a little bit. Just like Aquano, he's not the largest tackle in the class, but he ran a sub five uh, five second forty yard dash. He had a four six shuttle, which is fantastic, and he had a nine four broad, which is fantastic. All the areas you want an offensive tackle to test well in, he did. Uh, so don't don't keep him off just because he didn't have the eye-popping numbers that Aquanu did. They're all very good. We have been talking for months about how deep this wide receiver class is. Based on your athletic testing, uh, does that concur with the perception that you're going to be able to get quality make-it wide receivers into the fourth and fifth round without much difficulty? I would say so. This is a very, very deep class. I know we say this, it seems like every year now. The last couple of years, we've had pretty strong wide receiver classes. Uh, but you've got guys like Christian Watson from North Dakota State that's going to go day two, who had some all-time great testing. Um, you've got George Pickens from Georgia, who had some fantastic testing. But then you start getting into the day three guys, guys like Bo Melton and Calvin Austin, who's tiny but tested incredibly well. Calvin Austin tested well enough. He's five foot seven and... Uh, 170 pounds. So his size scores are 0.4 and 0.63 out of 10, respectively, which are not good. And he still ended up with a 9 out of 10 for his overall grade because the rest of his numbers were so fantastic. Um, and then you've got guys like Sky Moore, who's probably going to go a little bit earlier, I think probably on day two. But even though he didn't have that elite testing, um, he comps really well to players like Golden Tate, guys that have certain specific types of athletic traits that match his play style really well. And you've got guys like that littered throughout the draft. Um, let's go to the cornerback position. Giants, uh, you know, looking at possibly like a sauce gardener. I know we have him up there pretty high. Talk to me a little bit about some of the other guys in that group that could um, pop up that, you know, a lot of people may not know about too. Yeah, Sauce is going to take a lot of that hype just because he's, he didn't allow a touchdown in college, and he the little bit of testing he did do was fantastic. Derek Stingley's starting to pick up a little bit more. He had his testing at Louisiana State, and even though he's had very little time to prepare due to injuries, he tested exceptionally well, mm -hmm. and that's probably going to push him back up a little bit. People wanted to make sure that both that he was healthy and that he managed to maintain some of that athleticism. Trent McDuffie gets kind of looked like a later uh, first-round pick type of guy, but he's another guy that's, that, that's uh, uh, hyped up a lot in this class because of his athletic traits. Um, a little bit later on, you're going to have some guys that are going to jump up, guys like Zion McCollum out of Sam Houston State, small school guy, but an incredible athlete with really good size. Um, and you've got the same thing from Tariq Woolen out of UTSA, who, you know, at, at six foot four ran a sub four three. And we talk about sub-4-3 a lot when it comes around to draft time, but I don't think people really understand how rare that trait is, guys that run under a 4-3. We only get a few each year, and Tariq Woolen hit that while being 
one of the tallest cornerbacks to come out of the draft ever and over 200 pounds. How about, I want to say in the defensive backfield, you know, Kyle Hamilton's been dinged a lot for his 40 time, Kent. But the, the rest of his testing was strong, and he's a bigger safety. So when you put all that together into your cauldron, what pops out? Yeah, Kyle Hamilton is exactly the type of player that this type of metric was built for because you can look at that 40 time and be like, oh, he ran an average 40 time. He's an average athlete, but that's a trap that you can get caught in by not paying attention to the entire picture. Like you mentioned, he's one of the very he's one of the largest safeties to ever come out of the draft. He's six four and two twenty. Both of those are ninety ninth and ninety seventh percentile numbers. He had a thirty eight inch vert and a ten foot eleven inch broad, almost eleven foot, which both of those are elite numbers. His ten yard split was very strong. His three cone was really strong. The only thing he really struggled in was that forty yard dash and his shuttle. Neither of which are particularly predictive at the safety position. If you're a safety and you're not fast, you want to be quick and you want to be explosive. And he's got those traits in spades. So the fact that he didn't run a great forty time isn't that worrisome because he also didn't run a terrible forty time. All right, I got the other guy who was the poster child for projections, Trayvon Walker, who everybody says, oh, my God, he's going to be a dynamic edge rusher. He's going to be a great pass rusher. And all of a sudden, he shoots up to the top of the board. And now there are people saying he's got to be top 10, could even be top 5. Okay, talk to me about him, Kent, because, you know, this this is going to be somebody, if they hang their hat on him, and pick him that high, boy, they better be right. Because if they're not, that's going to be a big-time capital B bust if you don't think he turns out to be or doesn't turn out to be the edge rusher that somebody thinks he will be. Yeah, I heard somebody compare him to Daniel Hunter a little bit earlier today, which is a good comparison from a, a projection standpoint. Hunter didn't have very strong traits or a very long tape, but he did have very strong athletic traits, and he was able to fall into a good position with Minnesota that was able to push him into a very strong pass rusher role, and he's done great since then. Walker is that kind of projection where you're not going to expect him to come in fully ready to take everything on. And he's not even the only guy we've had this with recently. Rashawn Gary was drafted out of Michigan by the Green Bay Packers a couple of years ago, and he faced very similar criticisms. It's all about the athletic traits. It's all about the, the projection. His tape just isn't there. He doesn't show these kinds of things on tape. And it took him a little while to get there, but Rashawn Gary really started to put, put it all together this last season. And I think that's what you're really looking for with a guy like Walker is you're, you're not looking at a guy that's going to come in from day one and be that 10-sack guy. But you are looking at a guy that if you put the right staff there and you can develop him, he could be a perennial pro bowler, double-digit sack guy every single year because he has all the athletic traits. Hey, Jeff, I want to follow up real quick. Sure. Can, uh, can, can you just do a little compare and c- contrast then? You know, Walker as compared to the Thibodeaux, to the Jermaine Johnsons. Mm-hmm. Should there be much consternation that, oh, I have to get the super elite guy because he's better than these other guys who are, who are, who are just elite? Or do those guys also meet all the thresholds you're looking for? Yeah, and they, and they did, and that's why that conversation isn't, isn't quite as loud as it, as it really should be for a guy like Walker, because Aiden Hutchinson tested phenomenally. He had a 9.88 out of 10. That's not so much further behind a 9.99. Kayvon Thibodeau was 9.62 out of 10. Uh, Jermaine Johnson was 9.23 out of 10. All of these guys are elite athletic testers. They have all of those traits that you need to develop. It's just varying levels of where they're at right now, the types of pass rushing moves they have, the types of schemes you want to put them in. You're trying to find that perfect fit of athletic projection and current what-can-you-do-for-me-right-now types of projection. 
Ken, it's kind of funny, you know, normally we start with you with the quarterback position <laughs> being such a, an important thing. But, you know, we're segueing to the very almost at the end here. Um, I'm just a lot. I'm curious about this class. I'm curious about how your thoughts on I've been one that's been talking about how everybody gets, uh, you know, infatuated and all these sexy guys about the quarterback and they move up into that first round to take one. What do you think? Is there somebody that you see that through the testing and all your mate metrics, it may move up higher than some of these other guys? So Malik Willis has done the best job of moving himself up the boards, and he, had, he never even tested, which is it's one of those situations where he didn't need to, right? He didn't need to come out and show that he was an elite athlete. Uh, Kenny Pickett did have to show that he was an elite athlete because he is on tape, but he isn't super fast. So he didn't want to fall into that same type of issue that, that uh, Kyle Hamilton had where they're going to start, start talking about his 40 time. Pickett showed that he's got all that athleticism. There's not really much concern there. If people don't care about his hand size, they're, they're totally fine with him as a prospect. Mm-hmm. Desmond Ritter's the guy that I wanted to talk about, though, because he's the guy I think that's moved the most. Um, he had a lot of concerns about how he was as a passer, but I, I actually projected he would be above a 9.5 in his testing, and he was. He was a 9.6 out of 10. Uh, he ran a 4.52. He's one of the fastest quarterbacks in the class. All the athletic traits that you need there. He's just got some wrinkles he needs to really work out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to go a lot higher than people are projecting currently. He's kind of in that early second round, late first round type of range. I think he could go as high as top 16 in this draft class. Final one from, uh, from me, Ken, and it's a two-parter. One, did you find there was some um, expansion and overinflation, if you will, of some of the 40 times on that turf in Indy this year? Do you think there was a surface thing with that? Now, obviously, that's not going to affect the other drills probably, but at least it will with the 40 time. And then number two, for you, you've been doing this. You've been seeing what guys have tested at for more than 30 years and what guys succeed. What positions for you do you feel like the traits are really most important in predicting success in the NFL? Yeah, the, the, it was really weird in Indy because we always talk about Indianapolis because they've done the combine here for most of the combine's existence. So it's always like for like. You're comparing these guys to the same types of things that everybody else had to face before them. Well, this year it was different. Indianapolis got new turf. Everything was a little bit different, a little bit cleaner, a little bit sleeker, and it definitely seemed to impact the guys 40 times. Now, this is a very fast draft class, so it's hard to tell exactly how much that 40-yard yard dash times were impacted. Um, I feel like it was, it was at least enough that you could go, yeah, that had an impact, but not enough that you can be like, that's a really significant impact. The guys that ran times at both the Combine and, the, and their Pro Day still tended to do better at their Pro Day, uh, just not by as large of a margin as they would in most years. Now, as far as what positions and what individual traits uh, projected the most, we talked a little bit about tight end. Tight end is one of those positions that is, is phenomenally important for a tight end to have good testing. And it's not just, oh, they've, they've got to you know, run good in shorts. It's just that tight ends in today's NFL have to have the type of athleticism where they can outrun linebackers and safeties and be able to take on corners if they need to. They have to have that level of athleticism, and that's not very common um, of a trait anymore. So when you have a guy that comes out that doesn't test very well, you need to start asking yourself, can he perform well enough in the NFL? If he's not an elite tester, you've got guys like Zach Ertz, and Mark Andrews, who weren't elite testers, but they were still very good testers. They weren't poor athletes. So if a guy isn't an elite athlete, as long as he's still good, you should be okay with him. You see the same type of thing for defensive end and defensive tackle when we're talking about pass rushing defensive tackles. Um, it doesn't matter at all for nose tackles. Nose tackles got to be big. That's, that's their main job. Um, 
And then along the offensive line on the outside, tackles and then guards in that order and then center to a much smaller degree tend to be reliant on athleticism. These are big guys that have to go against other big guys, and everybody's got to be fast and quick and explosive. Final one from me, Kent. i got to ask you about the running backs. Uh, between Hall, Spiller, and Walker, who seem to be the consensus top three in one way or another, uh, can you differentiate anything between those three? And a guy who I've been getting a lot of tweets about, Giants fans keep telling me they're intrigued by Cook, and they would very much like potentially the Giants to see if he could be the successor to Saquon Barkley a year or two down the line. Uh, any thoughts on those four guys in particular at the running back spot? Yeah, for me and athletically, there's not really a whole lot separating Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. Um, they both tested really well. Brees Hall actually tested very closely to Saquon Barkley. He's that level of athlete, just a phenomenally gifted athlete. Kenneth Walker tested very well, far above expectations. Um, he had an elite profile, not quite as high as Hall's, but still a fantastic profile. But there really isn't a whole lot separating those, those two, both in terms of tape and the fact that they're both elite athletes. Um, Isaiah Spiller had a really, really unfortunate draft season because he's been dealing with some injuries and his testing wasn't expected to be elite to begin with, but because of those injuries, it was quite a bit lower. Um, and I don't think it's really doing the type of player that he is justice. Um, I think he's a, a bit of a above average, but maybe not great athlete. And he tested below average because he's been dealing with some injuries. Um, Cook is a fantastic talent in a different way, and I can see why Giants fans would like him because he's very well known for being a good receiving back out of the backfield. He's a very versatile player. He's also a very good athlete. He didn't test as well as Walker did, but he still tested up in that range. He had an 8.75 out of 10. Most of that's due to his speed and explosiveness. Um, he actually skipped the agility drills. I think he would have done better in the agility drills, so it's kind of surprising he skipped them. Um, but he ran a 4.42. That's plenty fast enough to get some work done in the NFL. That's that's good good burner speed, um, and he's explosive, so he can put his foot in the ground and really turn up field and do some damage. All right, Ken. One last question. We'll let you go here. Um, I have to I have to ask you because I watched this kid punt all season, uh, not all season, but most of it. I'm just gonna I have to see this Matt Areza, the guy this from San Diego State. I mean, I, I want to know if you have anything on him or even do anything with the kickers and punters. Probably not, but I'm just curious. You know what? I do, and I, I do that specifically because people like you are interested in what they're doing. I, I don't know if it matters. So I, I can't tell you if this matters or not. But out of 10, he had a 9.48. Um, he had very good testing overall for, for a place kick. I keep punters and kickers together, otherwise I wouldn't have sure. enough. Because most, most of these guys don't even test. Right. Uh, but he did, and he tested very well. Um, it's actually second in the class. We had one guy that tested better out of Cal Davis. Uh, I don't know enough about it to speak on him. But Ariza had a 9.48 out of 10. And the people who follow kicking and punting, they've got a guy they can put their hat on. <laughs> yeah, I Ken. think he's a special one. I really do. I think he's going to be able to – obviously, he'll be able to kick off. I don't think that there, – there hasn't been any successful guys that have done both in the National Football League. You just can't do it. But if there is a guy that could try it, this is probably this guy. Really. All right, Kent, uh, before we let you go, tell us where they can find you, all your stuff, your website, you on Twitter, and anything else you want to get out there for everything you're doing. Yeah, you can all find me on Twitter all the time. I'm at MathBomb. I talk about football all the time. That's my, my primary focus on that on that platform. Uh, you can find, also find me at RAS.Football. Try to make it a little bit easier for everybody. So if you want to look up some RAS, look it up on RAS.Football. We've got most player testing, everybody that I could get from 1987 all the way to 2022. We've got more than 22,000 players in there, I believe now, um, and rising every year. 
Um, I love doing this stuff. And then, of course, you can always check out my work at ProFootballNetwork.com. Uh, I actually run the mock draft simulator there, so you can go there and run your own mock draft and see what you think the Giants are going to take. Jeff Eagles loves those mock draft simulators. Jeff, get on it. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. They drive me crazy. <laughs> Ted, good stuff, my friend. Uh, stay safe. Enjoy the next two and a half weeks before the draft. And then maybe we'll catch up with you after to talk about some of the guys the Giants did in fact draft. All right? Appreciate it, Ken. Sounds great, man. Look forward to it. Thanks, Thank Ken. Kent Lee Platt yeah. at MathBomb on Twitter. Again, he runs the yeah, Relative athletic scores outfit and he does all those great res graphics the good thing about those graphics that he puts out there they just put everything on one page you can see everything Mm -hmm. and composites them together and it color uh, codes it too john which is always green good yellow okay red bad (laughs) exactly even 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 mathematician paul dottino can figure that part out (laughs) no computer codes there it's just look at the colors all right i got a couple calls guys that we have to get to they've been holding on to make sure we get to them let's go to antonio in delaware he'll be first antonio what's up Hey, how are you guys doing? What's up? I have a two-part scenario for you guys. Okay. Okay. Okay, you got your godfather offer for the seventh round pick. So you got two ones for next year's draft. So let's just say that extra draft pick is a top five draft pick, correct? Let, let's just say that. Okay. Now, this is this is working out really well for us. Well, okay. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> All right, here's the, now here's the kicker for you. So, the team goes eight and nine, right? Daniel Jones has, let's just say, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and misses two games. The, okay, misses two games. That, 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 that was going to be my major question, whether or not he stays healthy. Okay. Well, 30 touchdowns, he All probably right. has to. Well, that was my question, yep. And he misses two games. Okay, real, real quick, Antonio, how many are the Giants averaging like 25, 26 points per game here still? Or like, are, is their points per game up? Are they scoring? Um, I don't know. You can factor that in. Okay. All right. So, what do you do with Daniel Jones? Saints now, the premium price for a quarterback is $30 million. And you kind of missed out on his first four years of, you know, getting that good quarterback um, play. So you have an opportunity to draft one of these top-tier quarterbacks. And you have Daniel Jones sitting there, but you have to pay $30-plus million on one-year performance. What do you do? Antonio, you actually just and, – and, and again, thanks for the call. You can listen off the air. I want to make sure we get to our final two calls. You just painted what I would consider the worst-case scenario because you have to figure it out because it's hard. You know, he misses a couple games with an injury. His stats are good but not elite. Your team is good but not elite. You're sitting there with a chance to if, – if you maybe there's a quarterback you think is fantastic. Do you want to invest $35 million a year in – the quarterback in that situation, I think that's the deal where it's impossible for us to predict that today because I think so much of that is a feel, right, guys, is watching Jones during the season and how it went. Mm -hmm. And I know it's easy to put numbers on it and say, well, what would you guys do? But I think that's a really tough decision to make without witnessing and watching it. But I think that's the situation, Jeff, where you're like, oh, boy, this is going to be a really tough call. It, well, it's almost like it's not complete. We don't have enough information to answer the question yet. And so, but I will, if it went to them, we had that, and those were real numbers, 
um, there has to be a discussion on what they want to do. But in my opinion, uh, you know, you probably end up having to franchise them for one year. Right. I mean, that to me so you is probably franchise them and then have another year of data and make your decision. There you go. And, and, right. and by the way, I like now, that idea. Now you're trying to think of, you know, are you going to and, and by the way, you're going to be able to tell a lot more about Daniel Jones in this new regime that they want. They're going to find out a little bit more about him because they're going to ask him things to do that's under their clock that's on their clock. And so, you know, and they, maybe you end up taking, you know, you take that. What was it? He said that we're going to get a top five pick yep. again. He's a top five. Um, well, you know, listen, I think that if there's a quarterback there that you like better than Daniel Jones, have him play under Daniel Jones for a year, and there you go. You know, Carson Wentz is the 10th highest paid quarterback right now in terms of average salary at $32 million a year. So when he gave you that number of 30, mm-hmm. he's probably not that far off. Oh, yeah. he's about right. You, if, yeah. if Daniel it's Jones. Be somewhere between 30 and 35. If he it's has be that, that kind of season, that's going to be ballpark. Well, that's what he's going to want. You know, that's going to be ballpark. Now, what you will do, of course, I, I'm with Jeff. I think you franchise him for a year, and then you try to work on a new long-term deal that's going to lower your first couple of year numbers, which we, we all know that's what everybody does anyway. Um, but, you know, let's just all hope that that happens. Daniel Jones throws 30 touchdown passes against 11 picks, and the Giants, you know, win at least eight games this year. I think there are a lot of people going to be smiling, to be frank with you. I would be very happy to have that. But, again, that is then a tough decision as to whether or not to invest I'll take a tough decision. I'd rather have that than be miserable. See, I want the easy decision. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I'd rather have the easy decision. Well, I think, I mean, listen. You want to sit through another four-win season? God bless you. I don't. I would rather sit through a four-win season than have clarity on whether or not I'm going to be able to win for the next seven. I got you. I you understand. understand what I'm saying? I yeah. understand. Like, like I would, I would sit here. Look, and and I'm a person that like agonizes over this stuff. I would be agonizing over that decision. It would. I would be driven batty for months. The, trying the to king of agita. No, I agonize worse than you could ever. Trust me, and I'm fine with it. Just remember That's this, a- guys. Though this is a new organ, this is a new staff, a new general manager. There's a lot of newness to everything here. So I, I think that you know, and I keep saying it. I love the term, you know, new, new eyes, new guys. And so yeah, this, I mean, <laughs> he's gonna have to do what he's gonna have to do to make. John, I'm with you. I'd rather have the seat. I'd rather have it made for me early. You know, and I'm not telling you, telling you that Daniel Jones is gonna tank it. Well, but- no, look, and Jeff, I, 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 he doesn't have to just tank it. What if he's like? Unbelievably good. Like I'd be happy with that. Okay, to be easy. that's I, good. I, I just want an easy decision. See, I don't want to be sitting there like you want it easy both ways. For me, I don't want. I don't want. You don't want the tweener. You don't want the tweener where you're like, mm, yeah, I, I don't want to yeah. deal with the, that. The mountain range of Azure is if he gets hurt. That's the mountain range of Azure. Well, and I think I, Jeff, that's I, the one that kills me. I think Jeff, I threw that hypothetical at you last week, right? Didn't I? If I recall, I said he has a really good year, but he misses five or six games. That's the problem. Then what do you do? Two games, I'm actually okay with that. I can push that to the side, and I'll just go based on his performance. He misses five games. That's that's history. And plays really well, but misses five games. I can't bank on Now you just gave me. Okay. Right there, you just dropped me on my head, and I have a major league headache that I can't get rid of. Well, that's what I want to That's an easy one, That's my point. (laughs) That's not a headache. That's an easy one. He has the headache because he's the one that got hurt. That's an easy decision. That just goes along and shows you exactly what he's done his whole career. He's been hurt, and he just missed another five games. For you, five games is easy. He's gone. You're moving on. 100%. Okay. And I I think I probably lean towards Jeff with that. Yeah, I might do it too. As much as we hate to say that for anything. tough, reliable. 
Mm-hmm. That's the third one. If someone's yes. always heard, are they reliable? Ah, yeah. very true. Very true. Availability. All right, let's right. go to Angelo in Dallas. He will wrap us up. Good call, Antonio. Appreciate it. Angelo, what's going on? Hi, Angelo. Um, hey, there's scenario two for y'all. Oh, no. Um, this is, I know, right? You are this so mean. I'm curious, about, I'm curious about each one of y'all's take on this. If we can't find a trade partner and Hutchinson, Frost, uh, Thibodeau, and Trevon Walker are off the board, we take our top tackle in our, our, at number five, I don't. They may say, you know what? Take their defensive player since three drafts, since their top three are still there for number seven. But if they take their top tackle at number five, who would you take at number seven if you can't find a trade partner? I know Kyle Hamilton's there. Who is I it? like him. Who's gone? Who? Angel, All the who, rushers. Gone? The who's rushers gone? are gone. Yeah. So Hutchinson's gone. Sauce Gardner's gone. Kyle uh, Thibodeau's gone, and Trevon Walker are gone. And the he Giants drafted Hutchinson at five. Is what you're telling me? No, no, Neil. Neil. The Giants drafted Neil at five. Okay, I got you. I'm sorry. I got you. Yeah. They, they drafted a top tackle at five. And then at seven, Kyle Hamilton is still there. I'm okay with him. I'm nervous with him going against CeeDee Lamb, uh, going against uh, McCoffin in Washington, and Smith in Philly in the slot position. Well, you're, miss, so, you're missing one other guy in here now. You, because of the way he ran last week, Stingley has to be a guy in that conversation too. Again, reliable. So, now, I, I personally would not, but he has to be in the conversation. I think he's in the conversation. And would, would, would Jermaine Johnson be in that conversation for you at seven? I don't know. Probably not. Okay, would Aquanu be in that conversation? You play him at guard. Well, that's, that's, that's the other thing that I said to you months ago when we first started doing our mock draft things for the web. I said, look, if push came to shove and I wound up taking a tackle and a guard – I would not totally be against that. I could do it. I could do it. I think, honestly, Aquani would be my highest-graded player on my board then. I don't you like the idea of picking a guard that high. I think I would pick Aquanu. You know how I feel. Aquanu's my favorite lineman. I know. So I, know. I would have no trouble doing it. Now, I will say this. I don't think your scenario is realistic because I don't think Carolina's picking a corner or a pass rusher because they've invested first-round picks in those spots. I agree. Each of the last two years. But in your hypothetical, I would pick a Kwanu before I pick Kyle Hamilton, and it's frankly not that close. This guard and safety, neither one is an elite position, and I would feel and, – and you would double up then, right? If you know either Neil or Kwanu can fail into guard. So you actually have a choice, right? Which guy do you want to move in? You can move either one of them. Um uh, would I so, so wait a minute, just to be clear. So yes. if Hutchinson, Sauce Gardner, Kyle uh, Thibodeau, and Trevon Walker are all gone at one, two, three, four. Yes. And we take our top lineman at yes. five, the one that we think is the best. Yes. Carolina takes whoever at six, and you can either choose Kyle Hamilton, which I'm not high on. Would you take Kyle Hamilton, or who else would you take? Would you really take two offensive linemen I would that take, high and move I, on the guard? I would take Neil or Quanu over Hamilton because they're higher-graded players on my board. Much higher grade. So two offensive linemen in your top ten. Yes. And, and, by, and by the way, I don't, I don't ad, think it'll happen. I, I don't but. advocate for that generally. I don't. Mm-hmm. But I, in, in your scenario, because the, you've, you've taken Sauce away from me. You've taken Thibodeau away from me. You've taken Hutchinson away from me. Right. I think, and Trevon Walker's gone. And Trevon Walker's gone. And I'll tell you, Aquano and Trevon Walker would be pretty close for me. I'm not as high on and Walker. And I saw this on a mock draft. That's, that, that's the reason. I saw this on a mock right. draft. Obviously, there's tons of mock drafts out there. Right? Now, I will like, say well, this, this too. I, haven't seen. I think the front office would take Trayvon Walker. 
because if you look at how the Bills drafted in Buffalo, they were very big on large, traitsy defensive linemen. Mm -hmm. You know what Trayvon Walker is? Mm -hmm. A large, traitsy defensive lineman, man. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I appreciate it, brother. I, I don't I know it, if Angel, any team in NFL history has taken two first-round offensive linemen. No, probably not. I, I Probably not. Now, it, it may have happened, but I guarantee you they didn't take them two in the top ten. See, That's I, never so, happened, here's the I'm thing. sure. I, I'd trade out of it. Well, no, yeah. Yeah, he, he's saying he you said can't. you would try, but you can't. Yeah. He said you can't. <laughs> See, I don't now, think. And by the way, I think you—if that was a situation—I think you could get the Saints or the Chargers to come up for Aquano. Yeah. Oh, I think you probably could too, because I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Aquano and Neal are both top seven graded players, without question. I don't think yeah, there's any I doubt think in my that's mind. Probably true. Because I—I I would pick Sauce. I would pick Thibodeau. I would pick Hutchinson. Then it gets tough. <laughs> then it gets tough. <laughs> See, the thing about Walker is that despite everything we heard from Ken in terms of his athletic scores, there's still that level of projection. No, Kenny rushed the passer. And, Kenny and, rushed the passer. And, and you know what? I'm not saying that long-term he can't be. No, he sure is possible. That's stupid to say. I won't say no. that. But what I will say is... He hasn't shown that he can do it. If I'm picking that high, I need to be more sure than project. Right. I can't no, pick I'm... Walker as a projection at seven. I, I can't do it. Paul, I, know. Mm-hmm. I know. Anyway. Love the scenarios. That wow. That, those are out. two very <laughs> tough scenarios we were given there. <laughs> yeah. Good job, guys. Yeah, those are good. Those are thinkers. Put your thinking cap on there. And that's good, know? though. They put us in tough spots. They said, what like would it. you guys do in these tough situations? Yeah. I needed some aspirin. <laughs> there you go. All right. Generic. Aren't Good you job, happy? Paul. Very generic. Thank you. Though I think I, I think aspirin is actually technically a name brand too, but that's okay. Is it? Yeah, you can go buy aspirin. It's labeled aspirin on the bottle. But I, be, I believe it. It's made many, by Bear. But I believe many brands will say aspirin. I believe so. So now it's technically generic. Anyway. Good day. <laughs> How about pain reliever? You want to go pain reliever? How about that? Mm-hmm. Pearson, is that good pain reliever? You think that's a good one? All right, we're going to go pain reliever. Yes, sir. There you go. Got it? Pain reliever. All oh, right, goodness. go ahead. Let's get out of here. For Paul and Jeff, I'm Schmelk. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Tomorrow, uh, what do we got tomorrow? We got, uh, let's see, Montana State, NC State, and Purdue. We're hoping. Is what we're looking at. Oh, you're working on it? We're, we're, we're having okay. some communication issues. All right, we're working we're on trying. it. Hopefully we'll have a few We know we got tomorrow. Purdue. We know They'll we got Purdue. Right. So, so the Greek freak, so definitely. Little, so we have a little call after this talk. And they have a good wide receiver, too. All right, guys, we'll see you then on Big Blue Kickoff Live.